You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Uncivil Outlaw. Chapter 20. The Grand Duel. I rushed to the end of the corridor and up another spiral staircase until I was in a lofty chamber lined with more arched windows leading out into dizzying drops. It was like a cathedral's attic up here. I ran along, searching for a vantage point, but heard footfalls from behind. Over where the staircase had led, Wyatt stood, regarding me, and slowly unsheathing his sword as my heart beat in my chest. This was it. No more running. I put up my dukes and let myself bounce into a guarded boxing stance. Ripples of blue light passed over my forearms, wrists, and knuckles. This would have to be quick. The shield sapped my strength, and I was going to have to use it both defensively and offensively. White's armor needed no energy, and that razor-sharp sword required barely any pressure to be absolutely lethal. I stood my ground as he slowly walked towards me, footsteps echoing. I looked into those eyes and suppressed a surge of fear. I didn't want to die. White was on me. He swung the sword in and my arms came up. There was a blinding flash and his blade glanced off a rounded but clear shape of a shield extended from my forearm. He paused, shook himself in disbelief for a fraction of a moment, then launched in with a flurry of arcing blows, carving through me. Or at least they would have, had I not matched his steps forward with steps back, smashing aside each swipe, feeling myself tired, but at the same time gaining a strange new purpose. The fifth blow to be parried sent him slightly to one side, and I had my opening. I smashed in under his chin with a right hook and sent him spinning. He found his footing, and his hand went up to his face, jaw working behind the mask. I'd heard him. You are a fucking fantastic fighter. His voice reverberated around us. It is going to take everything I have to beat you, but I will beat you. Come on, Director. You are always smart as hell. You haven't factored in the possibility I might win. What will you do then? If you win, I'll be dead. So I won't have to decide on anything. Please understand. I cannot conceive of a world where I would let what you hold in your frame be lost to us. The voice wavered ever so slightly here, the words given too much. So you will have to stop me. Maybe this was one death that really had to be at my hands. Perhaps it would be for the better. I took a long, deep breath and prepared myself. Let this fight go the way it would. Stop thinking about winning and losing, living and dying, even cunning and negotiation. Focus instead on my overriding instinct. I looked inside myself to where the warm and cold ones were still locked in their death grapple. What do you want to do? I asked the warm one. I want to protect. That was all I needed. Everything else felt too wrong. After that, things got very fast and frenzied. 
Wyatt launched in once more and the two of us dashed and weaved around the ruins. I avoided and rolled away from as many blows as I could, recalling Prow's amazing flowing watery staff. I deflected and parried, always looking for an opening, but when it came I reacted with untold ferocity. The blade slashed through a pillar, unsettling debris in the ceiling far above, which tumbled down, causing him to dive away. But I dove in the direction White had jumped, flinging up my shield above and behind to protect myself from fallen rocks, planting my knee in White's chest, propelling him backward into an alcove. Restricted in movement for just a second, his stab went wide, impacting in the nearest wall. I kicked his legs out from under him, but they were already up and vaulting over the blade, thrusting into my face and sending me tumbling. I rushed away, vision blurred, aware of the humanoid form coming for me out of the darkness. I attempted to encase myself in a bubble like Wilson had said, but my shield was flickering. I flipped my patch and the blast of red light coming off him was blinding at this close proximity. I bounced off a wall and he jumped in, swinging down toward my face with an almighty blow. I thrust my hand out defensively, putting everything into the shield, just to push him away, just to prevent that killing strike. I felt the heaviest weight collide with my fist as the blade shattered against it, each piece tinkling around us. I heard White roar at the impact and loss, and my vision cleared. Then the real punch-up began. Now divested of his sword, White abandoned the hilt and we wove across the floor, laying into one another with quick, precise strikes. I felt his armor plates move and buckle. They had not been designed to go up against what I was holding. But similarly, aside from Agent Lee and Frau, I had never faced an opponent so ferocious and accomplished. White's punches rained down upon me, fragmenting my coat's armor, thunder and quick fire into my ribs, his hands a blur. I gasped, staggered backward, and spat at a molar, wiping my mouth. He wasn't going to get tired. Not before I did. Then I caught him looking directly at my left eye, and a frozen claw crept up my spine. Before I could even comprehend the thought, he had snatched a throwing dagger from his leg holster and flung it with pinpoint accuracy directly at my pupil. A blue flash deflected it, but my hand went up in shock. He grabbed a second and a third knife and dived in toward me, manifestly intending to reduce my number of usable eyes to zero. Panicking, I blasted him backward, which spun the man just enough to send him into a somersault. One stray ankle was all that hung within reach during that insane second. I grabbed it with both hands, twisting him around, and in a desperate move I didn't know would work until it had completed its course, I threw a shield out into the air for him to bounce off. He was flung away as I followed up on this momentum, dashing his whole body against the nearest wall. I had to act quickly. Still gripping the ankle, I yanked it over his briefly incapacitated form, throwing down a blast at his pelvis. There was a sickening pop, and White roared in agony as I dislocated his leg. Both hands spasmed, and he dropped the throwing knives. I swooped in to grab them and tossed them away. White wailed once more. A heartbreaking, banshee cry of defeat, face down on the stone. I felt sick over what I had just done and staggered backward, light-headed and woozy, exhaustion and disgust rising through me. The crumpled, pathetic body in the corner rolled over, gasping in pain. He sprawled for some time, coming to terms with his injury. The dislocated leg lay at a strange angle away from his body. 
Manually, he pushed himself up and slowly achieved a position favoring one knee. He was silhouetted in light as the great arched window behind him opened out into the wide, lonely bay. With one hand guiding, he attempted to reset the femur bone into his pelvis and gasped again at the intense stabbing sensation that must have accompanied it. asked with labored breaths. I felt about three percent away from dropping dead. My whole body was screaming out to me in pain. My muscles and joints were on fire. My bones were moving strangely. I had a headache that stretched down my entire spine and my vision was still blurry. He had royally laid waste to my frame and I leaned against the wall, panting with the supreme effort it took to remain aloft. I'm not gonna feel remorse here. I lied. You have ruined the world. You dismantled all hope of this region a peaceful accord when you ran. What was I supposed to do, negotiate with your knives? You ruined everything when you put your foot down on the notion of portals anywhere. It was clear to me now, and the words came with an assurance I wished I could feel more often. Sir, I understand your need to always be decisive, but when you won't bend on any of it, well, what can you possibly expect but the fiercest resistance? I stepped closer, feeling anger rise again. You made it about my life or death. You started this war. You gave me no choice but to run. At the end of the day, blame me all you want. But you did this to you. White remained kneeling. I looked into those eyes. Felt my shoulders slump. There wasn't hatred I was looking at. Indescribable frustration, yes. Desperation, absolutely. But not hate. You know, I've kept your secret. Wyatt looked at me incredulously. No word of a lie. Everyone I met, I shielded from the truth. And it was for two very good reasons. Number one, because what you accomplished was beyond brilliant. Thomas Arlington was a shining beacon of hope for America. And yes, that drew in enormous amounts of hate as well. And yes, that hate ended up taking Sarah away from us and leaving you like this. But I, I didn't want to take that hope, that example from everyone else. And the second? And the second was so I could tell you this before you killed me. I straightened up, took off my hat and ran my hand through my hair. That way, as I died, and you took my endowments from me, I'd at least go out in the knowledge that you'd have no reason, no real reason, to go after everyone I care about, everyone who helped me. I never expected to actually beat you. I'm, 
unhappy to prove you wrong. You're the one who's wrong. I know that now for sure. You see people as children, incapable of making good decisions without- Look at how fucked we are. You want to stand there and tell me with a straight face that people can be trusted to make good decisions? Everything they do in defiance of reason. Every step they push themselves further towards extinction. The self-invested incompetence they choose to lead them. These are not the decisions of evolved individuals. Our world, our whole race, is a mess of undeveloped, chaotic toddlers. And the real truth is that I don't want them to die. Abigail, I swear to you right now, this is motivated by my need to protect them from themselves. And I implore you to help me. I implore you, or we are gone inside of a century. Maybe you're right. Maybe we're children, no matter how old we get. But from the point of view of a child, our parents were pretty much God. And that is not something to expect of yourself. If I'm going to be honest about it, that attitude of storming in to fix everything for them is something I share with you. They need help to survive, Thomas, that's for damn sure. But it seems like what both of us need is a little humility. The armored figure before me lowered its head and muttered, Humility eludes me. And I fear if I open those doors, even a crack, they will burst open. That what will come flooding in with it may stop my course altogether. Look at me. I believe it's best for everyone if that happens. Now, serious question. Can you swim with your leg in that condition? White glanced down and shrugged. Painfully. I do not know for sure. That's a rare admission for you. And I ask because I want you to survive this. If we cross paths again, I don't know how it's going to end, but I think I have to at least kill you. And to be honest, I'm having a hard time parsing out how much of that is protective and how much is just plain old vengeance. I glared down. My voice growing cold, finally ready to ask the question that had burned inside me for months. How could you do that to Harry? White sprang upright upon one leg, two previously hidden knives spiraling from his hand directed toward my neck. I flung them aside as I lashed forward and punched out, sending every ounce of retained energy into a cannon shot through my fists. Impacted on White's breastplate and sent him sailing back through the air, through the window, plummeting down far into the sea beyond. Close enough that there was a slim chance of making it to shore. Far enough to maybe sap all that strength and murderous determination away. I exhaled, slumped down in relief, and took a moment just to process what had happened. Then I staggered from the chamber and across the rubble of our conflict. Retracing my steps to the room where James remained manacled to the pillar. Standing over him, 
were the two people we had been searching for for so long. have been listening to episode 20 of Uncivil Outlaw, The Grand Duel, written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw, Captain Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw, Mr. White, performed by Alex Shaw, Interloper, Movement Proposition, and Dragon and Toast, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com, Off-Road Warriors, specially composed by Gilhaim Steinberg, Flight Hymn, composed and performed by Ross Bugden. Uncivil Outlaw Theme, True Greatness, performed by Bjorn Lynn of Shockwave Sound. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. If you love New Century, you absolutely need to be listening to the fancast Through the Wind Door, hosted by Greg Downing and Toby Youngius. It's independent and unaffiliated, and what they say is coming entirely from them. Each episode, they talk through various chapters of every story in turn, going season by season, with, I have to say, remarkable insight, like the most in-depth book club you ever heard. They also regularly interview the cast to get to know the people behind the voices and what drives them. Through the Wind Door has currently covered Let Them Go, they're nearing the end of Secret Rooms, and they're about to jump straight across to Tiger's Eye. Go subscribe now. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Alex Peregrine, Angus Lee, Benjamin, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Dan Hepner, Daniel Salguero, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Joe Gasiga, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Veyi, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Trey Contreras, and Tom Painter. <laughs>